Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And our title is uh, The First Priority of Recovering, First Priority of Leadership. And this podcast uh, emerges out of uh, what is perhaps my greatest burden that I have for leaders. Uh, and that comes out of many conversations I have with folks and people about the challenges that they're pre- they're facing and really they're presenting problems that they tend to ask me about. Things like limits and uh, leading, out of your, leading out of your marriage or how do I stop comparing myself to others and envy and uh, you know how do I know what to say no to and set priorities? How do I define success? So the issue comes up a lot uh, where I find myself returning to this theme of you know, what is really the first priority for leadership and actually the first measurement of success? And because uh, so many of us are trying to squeeze in so many things to do and as a result, just rushing, there isn't the space to do everything that we've got on our to-do list and our goals. So again, I'm calling this recovering the first priority of leadership because it's not it's not vision, which is what we tend to say. It's, you know, get a vision. That is, that is number one or strategy. Uh, I want to say the first priority of leadership, I'm going to simply call it, it's about being, B-E-I-N-G. It's being uh, in a few different ways. It's being with Jesus, communion, relationship, abiding in him. It's it's waiting before the Lord. It's it's in silence. It's cultivating silence. It's sitting in silence. It's being wrapped in it and enveloped by it. It's... uh, it's being in silence and in the presence of God, out of which I'm, I'm also being with myself. So you're, you're being with Jesus and, and you're being with yourself uh, so that you can give to the world yourself uh, what God wants you to give, which is your person and not someone else's thoughts about who you should be. And, and then it's being with others uh, so that you actually see people. And uh, so we go out into the world out of which God has given us to do. And actually, everybody benefits. So uh, and we we see people like Jesus saw them. You know, it's interesting. And, you know, just how Jesus just sees people in the Gospels. And uh, but that's coming out of a deep being uh, with the Father, deep communion. So really, we're talking here about deep being, B-E-I-N-G, not superficially just to get by. Uh, and I'm talking about a, a drastic shift, a, Oh, a desert father shift, like in the third, fourth, and fifth centuries. Uh, you know, outside where I sit, you know, for my morning with God is a, I'm on a third floor of my house, and uh, there's a very large tree that faces me, that uh, between our sidewalk and the uh, street, and uh, so you know, tree is over three stories high, and actually, it's 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 a beautiful tree, and and it's so it's. It's it's grown. I remember we, we we had the city planted many years ago, twenty five years ago. When we moved in, and now the roots have gone so deep that they've cut into the uh, sewer pipe that runs from our house to the middle of the street, and has actually clogged that sewer pipe with its roots. And I saw it with a camera where the uh, when they had to come and unclog it. They showed how the tree's roots had gone through this, you know, old pipe. Again, it's 100 years old, the pipe, but had gotten in through the cracks and begun to clog it. So because that tree is, is going so deep, it, it's drawing in nutrients from the soil so it can go up. In the same way, uh, you know, God invites us to go both deep 
into the soil uh, of our being, you know, with him and with ourselves, uh, out of which we go out into the world. And then there's this upward movement, we're branching out, but it's the two movements together going deeper to the soil and also then going outward. And of course, the basic principle is you know, the greater your influence, the greater your responsibility, the deeper your roots need to be. And, and this actually is the key uh, to open the door of, of contentment. Uh, as I said earlier, it is success. And it's actually the key to a deep rest uh, and leadership. And it's the key to bring in your true self uh, to the world as well. So you're not defined or shaped by all the noise and expectations around you. The great little story in, uh, of Reiner Maria Rilke in, in uh, his book, Letters to a Young Poet, uh, and he, a person writes to him and, 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 and wants to know, a young poet, and wants to know if his poetry, his verses are good. And here's what uh, Rilke's response is. He says, you ask if your verses are good. You ask me, you have previously asked others. You send them to journals, you compare them with other poems, and you are troubled when certain editors reject your efforts. I beg you to give that all up. You're looking outward. And he goes, nobody can advise and help you. Nobody. There's only one single means. Go inside yourself. Discover the motive that bids you to write. Examine whether it sends its roots deep down to the deepest places of your heart. Confess to yourself whether you would have to die if writing were denied you. This before all, ask yourself in the quietest hour of the night, must I write? Dig down into yourself for a deep answer. And if this should be in the affirmative, if you meet this solemn question with a strong and simple, I must, then build your life according to this necessity. Your life must, right to its most unimportant and insignificant hour, become a token and witness of this impulse. I must. There is perhaps few things more difficult in Western culture than to be still and cultivate silence before the Lord. Uh, because our, in Western culture, our value and worth is in what we do and what we accomplish, externals, numbers, what we can measure. And that measurement of success is so deep in the church, uh, it's very difficult for us to even question it. So in the end, um, we're, we're about changing culture, the culture uh, of the church to become a counterculture in Jesus. And as leaders, we're, we're in the center. And, uh, and so thus... It's we who need to change first, out of which we begin to change the culture around us. So uh, let me just let me just step back with you for a moment and, and talk about this whole culture of what we're facing in the church, uh, in the Western world in general. As you know, we, we've launched a Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one and two, for churches about a year and a half ago uh, to begin to change culture. It's a, it's a, it's a discipleship that deeply changes lives, uh, etc. And... Uh, is two eight-week courses. But the center of the, of each part of the course is what's called the daily office, which I'll talk about later. Um, it, it's slowing people down to be with Jesus. It's, it's this being. Um, and so we ask people, uh, we do a feedback form at the end of the course, each part of the course. And one of the questions we ask is, what were your rhythms of being with Jesus like before you took the course? And I want to just read you some of the answers of the last class 
that we led here at New Life Fellowship. There's 130 people in it. And I'm just going to read you some of what they said about, and their answers, what were your rhythms like of being with Jesus? Because I think these answers reflect uh, not simply our church here in New York City, of people who are coming into our church, but they reflect uh, what I've observed and what we've heard from churches all around the world in the West. So here it is. What were your, what were your rhythms like uh, of being with Jesus before the course? Oh, occasionally Sunday service prayer. Another person wrote, whenever I have time. My rhythms were, I was in a rush trying to squeeze out, squeeze everything into my life. And then after that, I would get time with God. I'd go to church on Sundays and I sometimes would talk to God during the week. My rhythms, erratic. I was forced only to spend time with God when I had to teach. I didn't have any rhythms with Jesus. Prayer, I did it because it's a must. And if I didn't pray, there'd be punishment. My rhythms, not much, nothing much. No rhythms. I did things when I got a chance. Another person wrote, aimless daily devotions, Sunday service. Another person wrote, I would think of God when I'm in trouble or when I need help. Another person wrote, minimal rhythms to nothing. Uh, quiet time was a task, another person wrote. Another person said, random. I would pray out of guilt and pray situation situationally. Another person said, I was like a headless chicken without much rhythm. Another person said, pretty much non-existent rhythms of being with Jesus. Another person, I only prayed when I felt I needed it or had time. I didn't make time, and I didn't make time very often. Or I'd only turn to God, someone wrote, when things were bad. And another, a leader said, serving God is the most important thing. Work, 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 no rest. So again, we're about culture change. It begins with us. We cannot give what we do not possess. We can only give what we do possess. So we have an entire church culture, just like the world around us, which is just doing uh, like crazy with very little time for waiting, uh, for stillness, for silence. And so again, what makes our waiting and our stillness different is we do it before the Lord. We wait on the Lord, not to get something, we just to be with him, this word of being. So this truth of recovering the first priority of leadership, which is being, it deepens with time. Uh, you can know about it and you can even preach about it, but it doesn't mean you know it. It's something you have to learn from the inside over time. And uh, I've been in this for quite some time, and I, and I feel the hand of God pulling me deeper into being with him. And so I meet many leaders, and I'm sure some of you are in that category, which you've read the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, and, uh, and perhaps you, you've not done the course, uh, the discipleship course, and so aren't familiar with one tool, an ancient practice that really has been transformative for me since 2003 to get me into uh, a structure of being uh, with God, with myself, and then out going into the world. And it's the, it's the daily office. And it's one powerful way to begin to integrate stillness and waiting into your life. So let me explain a bit of history uh, about it and how I got into it myself. And then I actually want to end our time at this podcast with doing that we would actually do a, uh, a morning prayer or whatever time you're listening to this, an evening prayer, uh, a daily office together. So uh, I first observed and experienced the daily office uh, during a one-week visit to a Trappist monastery in Massachusetts. And the basic structure of a Trappist life is prayer, work, study, and rest. And they intentionally arrange their whole life around the daily office, prayers. Uh and this is their means to remain aware of the presence of God all through the day and to have a balance and a, and a centering, an anchor. And so we met seven times a day for a week uh, when Jerry and I were up there. 
And uh, they would meet, we met at 3.45 a.m. for vigils in the middle of the night. We met pre-dawn at 6 a.m. for lauds. We met at 6.25 for prime, the first hour it's called. We met at 12.15 uh, uh, p.m., noon, uh, for what's called sext. We met at 2 p.m. for known. We met at 5.40 for vespers. We met at 7.40 uh, for Compline. And then we went to bed and got up and did it again. We chanted so many psalms. Actually, they sing all 150 every week. We read so much scripture that by day three uh, of the first week, I felt like I'd been transported into another world. Um, and I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to, to do that spiritually 365 days a year, decade after decade. Uh, I didn't join the monks in that week for their five to six hours of manual work, but I did spend that time taking good naps. I was so physically tired, my body was not used to it. But I did, I was sure of one thing, that the rhythm of pausing for silence in the daily office offered a, offered a key to, uh, and a secret to unlock, paying attention to God and carrying his presence all through the day that was unlike anything I'd experienced uh, in all of my years in Christ. And uh, what surprised me most in conversations with them is that they too struggled with the balance of Mary and Martha. Martha being active, you know, serving Christ and Mary sitting at his feet. But that was their struggle as well. That was everyone's struggle. That How do I balance being uh, with myself, with Jesus, and then serving Jesus, Mary, Martha? And again, this word daily office, or it's also called fixed hour prayer, liturgy of the hours, divine office. It's different than quiet time or devotions, as most of us know it. And uh, when I listen carefully for people describing their time with God, their devotional life in the morning, their quiet time, it's generally getting filled up for the day and interceding for the needs around me. The roots of the daily office are different. They're about turning to God, not to get something, but to be with someone, him, to wait on the Lord. Actually, the word office in Latin, the word office is a Latin word, and it means work. And that for the early church in the early centuries, the daily office was always the first work of God. That is prayer. It was it's Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And nothing was to interfere with the first work. That's why I like the word office, but my, my, my first work is Jesus. And that experience with the Trappist launched me on a journey over the next two years to visit a variety of monasteries, Roman Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical, Orthodox, monasteries to learn more from Taizé, France, to Northumbria in England, to the monks of New Skeet in upstate New York, uh, the community of Jesus in Cape Cod, an ecumenical community. I participated in all types of daily offices. And, uh, and my, my, my great challenge and question was, how do you apply this to school teachers and sanitation workers and people just you know living here in Queens, New York City? And I was trying to figure out how it applied to me. What, what do I do as a full-time, at that point, I was a lead pastor at New Life, in a very active church with enormous demands on my time. And then I had four children as well and being a married person. So, you know, we see this in David set, David clearly had set times of prayer. He said, seven times a day do I praise thee, you know, in Psalm 119. Uh, Daniel prayed three times a day. We know that in Daniel 6. Devout Jews in Jesus' day prayed three times a day. And Jesus himself, scholars believe, probably followed that Jewish custom of prayer at set times of the day, as well as he prayed spontaneously. And then we read in Acts 3 and Acts 10, the, the disciples continued to pray at certain hours of the day. And then it was about, you know, 525 AD that, that Benedict uh, wrote the rule of, Saint, of rule of Benedict, 
uh, a structured prayer times around eight daily offices, including one in the middle of the night for, for monks. And that, that rule of Benedict became a, it's one of the primary documents of Western civilization and has shaped uh, Western monasticism for, you know, for centuries. Uh, and it's a tremendous little book to read, but here's what he wrote. He goes, on hearing the signal for an hour of the divine office, the monk will immediately set aside what he has in hand and go with utmost speed. Indeed, nothing is to be preferred to the work of God. That is the daily office, being with God. And they realized that daily office was so key. So, so, and it has been for me for the last 16 years. And, and, uh, it actually eliminates any division of sacred and secular in your life. And, there, and there's four basic elements to the daily office. And uh, and again, everyone's different. And what work for one will not work for another. Um, I like a lot of structure. And you choose basically the length of your offices. And I'll tell you what I do in just a few moments here. But uh, I found that generally offices have four elements. The first, of course, is silence. Um, that's like the number one, the key one is silence and solitude two most radical disciplines of a Christian life, as Dallas Willard called it. And, uh, you know, if solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God, then sol- silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to God. And I like what Nouwen said, Henry Nouwen said years ago, without solitude, it's almost impossible to live a spiritual life. And this is the most challenging and difficult practice uh, among Christians today, especially for us as leaders, because the world's so full of noise. And I just love the passage in 1 Kings 19 where God comes to Elijah, uh, not in the earthquake or the wind or the fire, but actually in the sound of sheer silence. Uh, it's often translated uh, a still small voice, but actually literally in Hebrew, it's a sound of sheer silence. It's stopping. It's being still before the Lord. Uh, centering, we'll call that. And there's silence. And then, there's, of course, there's uh, scripture and um, you know something devotional. Uh, and the good rule to follow, again, whether you use a devotion and use a devotional book, if it helps, do it. If it doesn't help, then stop doing it. Um, but the purpose of the daily office is to remember God, to be with God, and continue with Him all through the day. So let me just share with you what I do. Um, I'll give you a sense, and I'll, I'll share what I did yesterday. Okay, and and um, uh, it was Sunday morning. I, I woke up and I made my hot tea, and then I climbed the stairs up to the third floor. And I sat in my chair and uh, my pustinier, my little desert place chair in my office. I look out the window to that tree I mentioned earlier. And I'm just, it's, I'm just in silence. I'm just being, you know, with the father. I sip my tea and I'm, I am breathing, you know, deeply. And, you know, and then I, I began, I'm reading a devotional book right now. And actually just uh, in the introduction of one and it's, it's two and a half pages, and I read a paragraph of it, and I just stopped for silence, and and I actually spent about 15, 20 minutes probably reading a little bit and pausing for silence before God, and it took probably about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> tea was gone. At that point, I uh, picked up on uh, what I'm reading in, in Scripture, Matthew 9, and I, and I read two, uh, as I'm moving through Matthew again, I'm... Uh, section of, of Jesus healing the paralytic when his friends lower him through the roof and uh, the story of Jesus then calling Matthew and again being so struck uh, by the enormous presence of Jesus to one the faith of the friends begins with that lowering him through the wall through the roof and then Jesus being present to that paralytic and being able to say your sins are forgiven knows exactly what he needs 
uh, he, he's so present, he knows what's going on in the minds. He can see what's going on in the mind of the religious leaders, uh, and he speaks to them. And, and I'm like, he is so anchored as he is in the world, uh, being a leader, doing ministry. And then he sees Matthew, again, a tax collector. And I mean, whatever he saw in Matthew, you know, he just, he could see him. I thought of the thousands of people that would walk by Matthew, right, his office. But Jesus sees him at work and calls him, follow me. And again, he sees something. And then he goes to Matthew's house and with these tax collectors and sinners. And he sees them. Uh, and he's having a meal with his disciples. And and then, you know, it speaks about the Pharisees and Sadducees showing up and criticizing uh, him to his disciples. That they don't speak to Jesus directly, but to his disciples. And then Jesus gives that you know, very powerful word uh, about really what's underneath all of scripture. And he says, you know, you don't get it. Uh, you know, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And he quotes Hosea. And in their desire to be clean and holy, they're missing uh, God's heart beneath the scriptures, uh, kind of the canon within the canon. But he's just so present to, he's so his being is so deeply anchored. I'm just like, whoa. So there I was, boom. I just sat there for, you know, in that text for another probably 15, 20 minutes and just being silent, you know, looking at another, reading a phrase or two and being silent. And then I just, at the end of that, I, uh, you know, I, I have this practice. I, I like to do 20 minutes of, of, of kind of official, you know, just silence or stillness before the Lord. Uh Something I'd learned from a this ten day retreat I'd learned being with uh, Thomas Keating out in Snowmass, Colorado, and I do twenty minutes of of just silence before the Lord. I set my clock and I just did twenty minutes of just stillness before God, and, uh, and again letting any things that God had spoken to me now already just wash over me and just being hands kind of open before the Lord, and I just stayed there, and then at twenty minute my timer ran out and. And I just stayed there a few more minutes. I just stayed there and, you know, looked at the tree again and closed my eyes and went back and reread Matthew 9, those two sections on the paralytic in Matthew. And then I began to offer my day to Jesus. Uh, I was about, I was going to go to church. I was going to attend our New Life Fellowship second service. I wanted to be, ask the Lord to help me be present with people. Then I had a meeting uh, after that during third service to meet with um, three uh, people about uh, who had been doing research on Generation Z and uh, their learnings were researching the emotional discipleship course and, and how to adapt it to the new culture of young folks in Generation Z, 18 to like 23-year-olds. Um, and so our young adult youth pastor was there as well as two others, uh, two InterVarsity staff who work in that age group. And it was phenomenal. And then I had a meeting with some Spanish, this, we have a Spanish church that we planted years ago that was coming over. There are about 800 to 1,000 people and they're launching the discipleship course in Spanish. Um, and uh, so their table leaders came over and uh, you know I knew most of them and I spent an hour with them before I went home. And I prayed for that meeting, just offered up those two meetings before God. And, um, and then I would come home and finish notes on this podcast and offer that before God. So again, I, you know, my morning time with God is going to be longer than my midday and evening prayer. But the key word is, is that you're, you're, is that it's, it's slow. 
And, uh, and sometimes I'll even come out of my morning time with God. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'll sometimes just tweet or put on Facebook just a, something God spoke to me, when I, my first thing of work when I go to work later in the day. Then my midday prayer uh, generally is shorter. It can go anywhere from five minutes to 10 minutes to 30 minutes, but generally it's short. And uh, it may be a continuation of what, how God came to me in the morning. I may pray a psalm. I love praying the psalms. And uh, definitely it's going to be some silence, um, maybe out of a devotional. But the silence is probably the key of just taking some deep breaths, depending on how much time I have. Uh, I, but I will pause for a midday. And again, it could be only for five minutes. But if that pause just is now a rhythm built into my life. And then um, I'll always, I, I, I try to take a few minutes for what's called evening prayer, which is between 5 and 8 p.m. And it's generally often just a deep breath of a transition from work to home, uh, a meal. Uh, but I often, you know, miss that. I'm, but I do always do a compline. That's the final office before one goes to bed. And um, I will... Um, end my day with Jesus. I'm always going to begin my day with Jesus and I end my day with Jesus. And it may be something as simple as uh, praying the, the simple prayer out of, out of the Book of Common Prayer. May the Lord grant me and those I love uh, a peaceful night and a perfect end. And I, I name each of our children and grandchildren and in-laws, son-in-laws. But it's kind of, I bookend my day with morning prayer and and. and Compline that I know I'm going to have a midday prayer. So this has now been for many years. Those three are, are built into my body. And when I miss them, I feel it. I mean, I really feel it. Um, and uh, But the, I love Compline, that final prayer before you go to bed. I, compline, Compline uh, can be said differently. But uh, it's a great little ending office. And I may just read something devotional as well, depending on how much time I got. But I'm going to end my day with my last thoughts are going to be of Jesus. And um, because I'm going to close my eyes and I may wake up on the other side. And when I wake up in the morning, if I'm alive, I say, oh, here I am. You know, good morning, Lord. So just a couple of tips, just, you know, as you perhaps begin to wrestle with your own rhythms, begin to build rhythms in your life, just beware of legalism. You may, remember, uh, the end is Christ. You know, Colossians 2.17, you know, we don't want to get caught up in shadows. Anything that's legalism, just get rid of it. Uh and then stay with it, you know, just just stay with it. You know, I, over the years, it just becomes your life. And uh, and then think in advance about your days and your weeks. Um, so like, for example, I know I'm traveling. Um, I think about in advance, what am I going to get time with, you know, God? I was telling someone about it, you know, conference we have coming up. Uh, or I'm going to go speak. And I said, listen, uh, I can meet with someone. I want to meet with someone at lunch, some people, some pastors and leaders. But I'll, I'll need 20 minutes, uh, 25 minutes alone. Uh, before I walk back into the afternoon meeting. Because I just know I just I need that being time, you know, for myself. Uh, I, I would encourage you to have less intercession and more being, being, B-E-I-N-G, with God, more waiting on God, not for results, but just waiting on him to be with Jesus. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is something I use a lot. Uh, I, pray the, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer probably every day. I, I think probably every day for sure. Uh, but it could can, can be my midday office. Uh, I just, I just love the Lord's prayer. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, falling asleep is okay. Uh, some of you may fall asleep in your silence. And I learned this from a Trappist monk, a father manager who'd been doing the offices for 50 years and he fell asleep at our church 
when he was leading us in 20 minutes of silence, I thought it was wonderful. And uh, it's a gift from God. Receive it. And finally, let me invite you just to dive in. Uh, this being with Jesus, this uh, waiting on the Lord, just on him, not to get something from him, this cultivation of silence, you know, wrapping yourself in it, basking in it, being enveloped in silence. It's something you have to learn from the inside. And uh, trust me, your body will just get accustomed to it. You, you were built for it. Now, is this going to limit you? Absolutely. You know, with all you have to do, ask God. He'll, he'll show you. Uh, yes, it's going to limit you. You may do a little bit less, but you will accomplish, uh, I promise, more. So I spent five years uh, initially trying writing different daily offices that would that would work for an evangelical church involved in mission like ours that would that would fit uh, and help people get started. So I exper experimented with a variety of things that I'd observed uh, using materials from you know, Orthodox churches, Roman Catholic, Anglican, you know. And so I remember trying Old Testament, New Testament readings, you know, reading through the whole Psalms, doing five minutes of silence or ten minutes of silence became legalism, and I was I was constantly experimenting within our own church. But after five years, I, I felt like I finally settled on. What would be a, a, a great beginning for people that would be challenging but not overwhelming and least likely to fall into a, any kind of a legalism? And it was a simple formula of two minutes of silence to begin, a short scripture reading, a devotional, a question, a prayer, and then concluding with two minutes of silence. And I eventually wrote uh, you know, two uh, daily office books, Emotionally Spirituality Day by Day and Emotionally Healthy Relationships Day by Day to help people get started. And that, it's actually the core of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course that we bring to churches. It's the most difficult part of the course, but it's actually trying to slow down everybody in the church to be with Jesus out of which everything flows. Uh, and I invite you to check them out. But of course, the most important is to begin with us. So I, I'd like to, in fact, you might want to just download it digitally into your phone sure it's very cheap on Amazon, uh, and just play with it. If you've not done that, uh, try it and get yourself started in some kind of a rhythm, uh, maybe even just twice a day and building in some silence. But I'd like to end by modeling an office uh, from the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day-by-Day -day book. And I realize many of you are jogging or walking or driving, and uh, so please don't close your eyes, all right? Uh, but I'd like to invite you to join with me uh, for, you know, a, a midday prayer, whatever time you're listening to this. But I'm going to just do a minute of silence, and uh, then we'll, um, I got I to, gotta, yeah, I'll do a minute, I'll watch a minute of silence, and then we'll do a, a short scripture reading, a short devotional, a question, and close with a minute of silence. All right, so let me invite you to take a nice deep breath wherever you are right now. You know, and, and, you know, just hear the, the the sounds around you. Hear the silence around you. And take another nice deep breath, breathing in and breathing out. And breathe in, inviting the Lord to fill you with his spirit. You know, breathe out all that's, you know, not of him. And we're going to take a minute to be still before the Lord. And as your mind may wander in that one minute, just come back, uh, you know, just have a simple prayer word like Jesus or Abba, and just come back. You know, or here I am, Lord, in the prayer of Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. You know, here, or, I'm, here, I'm, here I am, Lord, Eli's prayer. And, 
you know, your servant is listening. And uh, offer that before God. Okay, so uh, let's begin. One minute before the Lord. All right, the scripture reading is going to come out of Genesis chapter 2, uh, and it says the following, The Lord, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Devotional. At the heart of the daily office and Sabbath disciplines is stopping to surrender to God and trust. Lack of trust is the very essence of the sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve legitimately worked and enjoyed their achievements in the Garden. However, they were called to embrace their limits and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were not meant to see and know that which belongs to Almighty God alone. Robert Barron, the theologian, actually argues that the heart of original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythms for us. And the essence of being created in God's image is our ability, like God, to actually stop. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. And if we can stop for one day a week or for a mini Sabbath each day, that is a daily office, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our brains, and bodies and spirits and emotions are all wired by God for the rhythm of working and resting in Him. This is not meant to add another obligation to our already busy schedules. The daily office and Sabbath is actually an entirely new way of being in the world, resetting all of our days toward a new destination, God. So here's a question for you to consider. How do you hear the invitation to stop and surrender to God in trust today? And here's a lovely prayer. Lord, help me to grab hold of you today or let myself be grabbed by you today. I need you. Set me free to begin reorienting my life around you and you alone. And help me pay attention to and honor you and how, to, how you have uniquely made me. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's close with, a. let me invite you to join me for another minute of silence before the Lord. All right, let's be still before him. Let's begin.
Amen. Thank you, everyone. It's been a joy to be with you today. I hope you enjoy that. And I pray that the silence in the presence of the Lord Jesus may wrap you around you like a blanket. And may it serve you to strip you of idols and illusions that are around you and bring you in touch with the real you each day that you can offer yourself truly in Christ to those around you as a gift. God bless everybody. You have a wonderful day.